0: A podcast one
1: production.
0: Hello everyone, thanks for joining us. Welcome to Hookline and Sinkers Boat Shed. In this series we invite you to join us as we search for what it is that makes the perfect boat and what it is that probably doesn't. This is episode six, Project Boats. I'm Luke McCredden and with me is Andrew Hart and Nick Diagon from the hit TV show Hookline and Sinker throughout this series we've taken you through the buying and setting up of your own boat that will get you into the world of boating but what we're doing now is all about getting your hands dirty and turning you into the manufacturer. Andrew you and Nick are well placed to take us through the do's and don'ts of project boats but my first question should I even take one on? Oh, of course you should. Project Boating is the greatest
2: thing a person with a love for boats can do. Uh, it is a journey, an emotional roller coaster as you breathe new life into an old classic. You give it new beginnings and another purpose. You find these heaps of junk by the road and you can see potential. And that's what we do.
1: It's a journey of sacrifice, Luke, Um, Project Boating. It is a journey of sacrifice and self-flagellation most of the time we've done a lot of project boats. Um, We've sort of been doing project boats on the fishing show, Hook, Line and Sinker for, well, it's more a boating show now, really, as much as anything.
2: It would be a decade now uh, that we've done project boats.
1: Yes. And, you know, project boats come in all shapes and sizes. If you you buy, let's say you buy a second-hand boat and there are a few little jobs to do to it, you might think, well, that's a bit of a project, I can take that. And using my own hands, my own skill, I can add value and make that a better thing. So I guess that's the proposition of a project boat, buying something of relatively low value and using your either skill or your money to give to somebody else (laughs) to turn it into something of a higher value. So... You know, the project boating landscape, Hardy, began for us, I guess, with a, um, a a thing we called the beast. Well, it actually began before that. It began with Yamaha releasing a brand new outboard into the market, which at the time was a pretty seminal thing. It was a big
2: outboard. It was the world's biggest, most powerful outboard engine. It was the V8 350 horsepower outboard, and uh, and Yamaha were, were sort of keen to do something with it. And back then, there weren't actually that many boats that it could go on because there just weren't trailer boats big enough to take a 350. So we thought outside the square and we, we thought, well, what about an old Bertram? You know, an old Bertram is a heavy old boat. It, it'd be perfect to, to throw one of those 350s on the back of. So we found an old Bertram 23-foot boat from maybe 19, I don't know, was it late was it early '80s? Well, yeah, it, it was 1990. 90, one.
1: It was a reasonably was it? It was late, a new one, a reasonably late model one. But yeah. it had been sunk—not completely sunk, but a bit sunk. <laughs> yeah, in its life. I mean, actually, in its recent life. So the bloke, the bloke we bought it from, was a mate of a mate, and he had this boat, and he said, "Oh God, I want to get rid of it because it's been sunk a bit, yeah. and I can't get the electronics in the um, in the inboard motor back to spec. So it would go all right." and then it would stop or then it would go, it used to go into sort of a limp Like
2: most of those big old boats with inboards in them. So, yeah, look, we decided it was the perfect project and it was a bit of a leap of faith for us because it was, I mean, back then, you know, the hook, line and sinker budget was $33 an episode. Yes, pretty much. And we purchased the beast. How much was
1: beast? So this is a a bird from Flybridge, a 23 from Flybridge. If, you know, if you're not familiar with those, they're quite a big boat with a little sort of place where you can sit on top of the roof. I think we paid 30 grand grand for it, which at the time was, um, you know, not peanuts. And I do remember at the time The 350 horsepower outboard was $41,000. Yeah. So it represented a fair chunk of change for us. And obviously you have to put an outboard on an inboard powered boat. There is a bit of water that's got to go under the bridge there as well. You've got to get the inboard out and do some changes, um, you know, in the back of the boat to make it all work.
2: So she was a project. Um, That was the project. We were going to repower this thing, put a pod on the back of it, a fiberglass pod and then bolt on the
0: new Yamaha, and, uh, and that was our project boat. I think the budget thing you spoke about before is an interesting one because for a lot of people... The look of that is well. What's the point? I should just get a new one for the same price. It's about the passion of it, Nick. I dare say that overrides the. Maybe you ignore the price a little. Yeah, bit. Yeah, no, you
1: do definitely. You, your project boater is a um, you know is a spendthrift typically, uh, <laughs> who's looking to get value for money. But when you do break it down, it becomes sort of problematic. So if we take the beast again as an example, you pay thirty grand for it. You then pay somebody ten thousand dollars to put a pot on it. That's forty grand. Then you pay. Forty-five thousand dollars for the engine. By the time you got all the bits, what's that adding up to? Sort of 85, close to ninety. By the time you fix the trailer and whatever else you got to do,
2: then you got to put sounders in it, radios then, yep, in it, yep. lights. So and all
1: it. of a sudden, you're a hundred thousand dollar it. boat. It's a hundred thousand dollar <laughs> boat, which is uh, twenty-eight years old.
2: And what can you sell it for?
1: You can sell it for sixty-five thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah.
2: No, that's the reality of project boats. You will never get your money back.
1: No, the in the short term. So I guess the economic reality mm. is that it's a value proposition over time.
0: And it's not something that should be taken on for the sole purpose of trying to make money.
1: To flip them? Mm. No, no, not in our experience. Our experience, look, and that may change as your suite of skills builds up, mm. as you are able to do a lot of the you know grunt work yourself, then maybe you can do that. But for a, a $20,000 boat a new engine is going to be a very big ticket item. You know, that's going to be exactly 100% of your purchase price kind of right there. Mm. So if you buy a $20,000 boat, you spend another 20000 on an engine.
2: But and let's be honest, we get things at a discounted rate because we do a program on it. So we get we are able to offer promotion to people to do jobs on those boats. Yeah. So it still costs us something, but it probably costs us, you know, half the price kind of thing. We get engines cheap
0: and we still can't make any money on those things. So that makes sense. I mean, you've got a half-sunk Bertram. Yep and an opportunity of a new outboard to create this projects but i suppose for the person sitting at home having a half think about you yes, know again,
1: bo- why 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 would you why would you so the the point is if you're going to keep the boat if you're going to have this boat for an extended period of time if this is your next 10 years of boating then it does make financial sense because Absolutely. you have um, you know if, if we take the beast for example yep. as a with a brand new engine on it, a whole lot of horsepower. You know, all the insides of it remodeled, renewed, everything good to go. Look, to buy that boat is what it's one hundred eighty thousand dollars new. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so no matter
2: what the brand is, yeah.
1: Yes. Again, with a new engine, um, yep. we've got a new engine. So from that standpoint, if you keep that boat for another ten years and come to sell either the new one or the beast, then they're probably line ball in what you get for them ten years down the track. Yep. So there is a um, there is an economic payoff as long as you keep the boat.
2: The other reason you do it is if the boat meant something to you. So if the boat was your dad's and, you know, it's been mm. sitting in a paddock somewhere and it's got a rotten-out transom and a rotten-out floor but it's a classic and you want to get that boat back up to scratch, that's another reason that people do it because the boat means something. And, uh, and look, boats do mean things yes. to people, you know. People have Huge emotional
0: attachments to boats. Sentimental
1: um, value in yeah. boats. You know, lots of shared memories made in the boat yeah. and, uh, you know, that's hard to get back.
0: And that's a good, uh, a good reason to choose a project to take on like that, Andrew, and there's lots of other reasons, I guess. But, again, going back to the, the thought process of taking on a project boat, there's some golden rules that people should know about? I dare say there probably are.
1: There are doing it once, doing it well is probably a, um, not a bad philosophical standpoint to come from because the problem with dodging it up or bodging it up is that down the track it will come back to bite you. We had an interesting joint project last year on the fishing show of the last couple of years on Hookline and Sinker where Andrew and I each bought a different boat and it was meant to be project boats on a budget and we quickly, well, I quickly determined that I couldn't really do my project boat on a budget <laughs> and blew the budget up badly. But we took different um, roads to do up our boats, Hardy, didn't we?
2: We did, Nick. You know, you went to... A reputable... Um, expert in Fabula, So yeah. the, the boats were both old Haynes Hunters and yeah. they were both rotten to the core. Yeah, uh, old fiberglass Hanes Hunters, they've got plywood in the middle of the fiberglass and that plywood had rotted out. So the transoms on them were gone. You know, they, they were dangerous boats to use. So for us to do them up, we had to do a complete rebuild, which involved basically gutting the boat back to a bare shell.
1: Just a flimsy fiberglass shell. Yes. And then you basically start again with your rebuild, which make no mistake is a very large job. You know, for someone doing that as a backyarder, expect to be spending three years doing that because it just never ends. Well, the,
2: the guy I found uh, has a, you know, a little business doing fiberglass jobs and he's right, he does a good job, but he could only work on weekends at my house out of my shed and it just got to a point where it was never going to get finished. You know, mm. it is
1: hours and hours and hours hours grinding and sanding and yep. grinding and sanding and when you even when you get to the point where you're laying some um, fiberglass in the boat and rolling it out and you're know, yep. putting the resin in then you've got to let that all go off so you know you can't do anything else until that you can do a cured. layer a
2: day kind of thing and then yes. you've got to come back you know and and i lived sort of an hour away from him so it was just never going to get finished plus there were some other issues which we might get to a little bit later on when, when we talk about the things that can go wrong with project boats, but um, if if you're gonna do a fiberglass rebuild, get it done right by a factory of fiberglass types.
1: Unless you are a fiberglasser, and look, unless you want to, if this is something you want to do, I would encourage people to have a go if that's something you want to do. If you've got the time, but don't underestimate how long that will take. No. It will take you years to rebuild the innards of a fiberglass boat to any kind of decent sort of standard.
2: And the other thing that you need to know about fiberglasses is that they might tell you it'll take three months, expect yeah. it to take six or nine, nine. or three years yep. because they always run behind, just probably because of the reasons we were just saying. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, there's and so much And because more there are some
1: it. powerful chemicals in fiberglass resin yeah. and potentially they've got a few little <laughs> Tweety birds going around <laughs> upstairs, so little probably, voices. you just wouldn't know.
2: Yeah, so get it done right. So spend extra money getting it done, you know, right. Then yep. the, we, we go back to the beast. That was a fiberglass pod. Yep. That was a big fiberglass factory that did that for us. But I think the best thing too that we did was actually we employed a naval architect to design the pod. And that meant that when the pod went on, when the pod was built, the boat was going to work. And it did. It was a, it was money well spent.
1: You know, really interesting. We've done two Bertram flybridges, one a 23-footer and one a 25-footer, which outwardly doesn't sound very different, but they're actually, the 25-footer is quite a bit bigger boat than a 23-footer. Anyway, so with the 23, we put an outboard on the back, had the naval architect design it all so it floated on its lines, put it in the water, it floated on its lines, it handled properly, it went well. We did for our 25 footer where we took two stern drive engines out of the back equivalent of about a tonne of weight and put an aluminium pod on the back that was made and fabricated by a bloke in a shed at the back of where we live, bolted it all up, we put it in the water. And the back of it is sort of three inches higher than where it should be. And it was extremely (laughs) tender. You know, that is, it flopped all over the place. It was very unstable at rest and a bit dangerous.
2: Yeah, we launched it. And it was, you know, we launched it next to a pontoon. And I jumped on it. And I stood on the gunnel and the whole thing nearly tipped over. Yes. I was like, ah, oh, this is not good, yes. this is not good. So this was no naval architect, and we thought we'd stuffed a good thing because that boat with the stern drivers in it, even though they were from 1980 and used to drop all their oil and would go, you know, only half the time was actually a nice boat. So we thought we'd stuffed a good thing.
1: And, and that's what you're doing, you know, by mucking around with these things and adding buoyancy here and planing strikes there and whatever else you're doing with a boat, you are, you are actually taking what is a proven classic hull and changing it, and if you don't know what you're doing, there is a reasonable chance that, Andrew, you will end up with a broaching pig, which is the last thing in boating that you want. No, <laughs> no there's... one wants a broaching no, pig. No, no um, one wants that. That no. bigger
2: Bertram, yep. these two, she did actually ride well, even though she was a bit tender at rest, and we were able to fix it by drilling two massive great big holes in the aluminium pod. So as was when she sat at rest, she, the pod filled up with water, therefore sitting the boat down. And then when you took off you to get up on the plane or the water, would out run again. out yeah. and
1: people said to us well you, clearly you have manufactured that as a storyline that's absolutely not the case that was no. a rigid edge you know issue we thought well we've got a very serious issue on our hands now um, so we cut up big holes in it and thankfully that's uh, fixed it and made it pretty good.
2: And we still have that boat. yeah this two. she's a great boat
1: continues to deliver value over time like so that's not bad.
0: That's very good. That's uh, that's very hull-related. What about, obviously, one of the things that jumps out seems to be engine-related about people yep. wanting to um, take on a project even just for the engine itself for an upgrade or something yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, um, So that's
1: probably the the simplest yeah. you know project boat um, storyline you can have. So you've got the family boat and you've had it for 15 years and it's got an old Mariner two-stroke engine on it. And every time you go to the boat ramp, it smokes and whatever else and uses mountains of fuel. And you think it would be nice to have a four-stroke engine, we'll change that out. And so heaps of people do that. That's a really um, great way to get another 15 years of value out of your boat. Just that simple, that one change. And that will absolutely revolutionize what that boat is. It'll
2: change your life. It will change your life. If you go from an old two stroke that doesn't run very well, uh, or even one that does, to a four stroke, you will wonder what you were doing with the old two stroke. Just the, you know, they use mountains of fuel. You gotta put oil in them. They smoke, they cough. You put a four stroke
0: on it and it just creates a whole different boat. You're listening to Hookline and Sinker's Boatshed with Luke McCredden, Andrew Hart, and Nick Dagen. If you're enjoying the series, give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Just hit five stars and tell us what you like about the series and why. You can get in touch with us and say good day on our Facebook page, Hookline and Sinker Australian Fishing Show. Of golden rules continues, Nick. There's a lot of things to consider and, and take on as serious rules when it comes to this oh, sort of project.
1: Yeah. Um, look, and another one that I guess we have probably discovered over time, and it's hard for a person as positive as me to, mm. to, to cope with this, but it's basically <laughs> expect the worst if something feels a bit softer, you know, if there's a bit of a spongy spot in the floor. Basically, the whole thing's got to come out, and probably the transom as well, and all the stringers.
2: The she'll be right attitude, yep. Nick, in project boating <laughs> yes. is not going to get you far. No. It might get you to the bottom of the ocean. Yes, indeed. Uh, it might sink you, because she won't be right.
1: No, she's she'll not be right. wrong. She's, she'll be a disaster. <laughs> she's stuffed. Yep, um, she's cactus.
2: If you jump up and down on the floor, and it sort of moves, yep. she's stuffed.
1: The whole floor has to come out yep. and be replaced. Yeah, Probably the things holding up the floor. Yep. Uh, They're called stringers. The stringers, they yeah. have to come out. The yep. fuel tank will be rotten. Mm. Um, if there's a small sort of pinhole in your trailer, Luke, the whole thing's probably rotten to the core and about to mm. break in half.
2: <laughs> Expect the worst. Yes. Uh, and then you won't be disappointed.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Sometimes you take you'll it in cl- to
2: get it fixed, and oh, you can. You just have to have a floor, not stringers.
1: Yeah, great, oh, great cool. result. Yes. Excellent. How's the fuel tank? Fuel tank's fine. Okay, That's good. Unbelievable. Five grand, yeah. not ten grand. Yeah. Happy days. Yeah. But again, these could be things
0: that that, uh, are are looked at in the purchasing process when they're looking for something as a project that could be considered a a great thing. Look, I can't wait to fix all the floor. Uh, You know, in a lot of cases there will be surprises underneath, as you say, that could... uh, you might not have expected or anticipated.
1: The vague issue is that if you're like me, you get a bit swept up in the whole process and you just try and find an excuse to buy the <laughs> boat anyway, despite all its issues. So, you know, one of the great things to do when you are looking at any boat, particularly or a fiberglass boat, is to tilt the engine all the way up and then sort of swing on the skeg. Try and make the transom wobble. If you can make the transom wobble, it means that all the wood inside it is rotten and pussy (laughs) and has to be replaced. Do that absolutely as though your life depends on it because if you have to go and do that job, you have just kissed goodbye to at (laughs) least five grand.
2: And if you think just the transom's going to be rotten, you'll be wrong because the thing about rot is it just keeps going through the boat, through the boat, through the boat. It's not the fiberglass, it's the timber inside and uh, you know it'll rot all the way up through the stringers floor. And it's a big job. it's an
1: awful job. It's a terrible, awful- Awful job. Diabolical job.
2: Because you've got to cut it out and then you've got to grind, grind it, it. Grind it out. Yeah. And, and fiberglass out. dust is oh. very
1: itchy. Um, on the plus side, there are new sort of composite materials yep. which are much, much better than plywood at resisting rot. So, for example, uh, last few years I did open old Haynes Hunter in concert with Andrew and we-, we Replaced all the wood in a 50-year-old boat with a product called Thermolite board, which is, you know, this composite which will apparently never ever rot. So that boat now has, you know, a half-life of 30,000 years and yeah, will be here forever.
2: It. Like, because fi- fiberglass doesn't rot. Because when when I did uh, the cutting up of my boat last year, yeah. I tried to burn a little bit of fiberglass. I chucked it on a bonfire, yeah. and yeah, it just sort of melts. You can't yeah. burn it. It just yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. It does not rot or get destroyed it is it is there forever so if you put some thermalite in with it your boat's going to be strong and solid forever
1: yep so we have moved on a little bit from plywood so i would say if you're doing a rebuild of that sort of nature if you're having a crack at it keep the wood out of it because ultimately the wood will the first time you put a self-tapping screw into that boat and create a little uh, hole in the fiberglass layer the rot will begin any more golden rules in this case nick Uh, Look, I think, you know, if you're going to expect the worst, yes, get it done once, get it right. The other thing I guess you'd have to say, Hardy, is stick with name brands. You know, it's a bit like when you're just buying a boat anyway, Um, when you come to sell it, the boats that have got proven bit of brand cachet will always go better than the sort of funny ones. And Australia, being a bit of a fragmented market, there are some funny boat brands out there.
2: Yeah, and, you know, boat designers that may have had a bit of a brain fart yes. and, oh. and built those things <laughs> and and all they turned out was a broaching pig or, yes. a, you know, very slappy, happy yeah. thing that you don't want to get in because it breaks your back. Um, whereas most of the, the well-known brand boats, you know, a classic mould or a classic hull and they're going to ride so much better. And, you know, in a project boat, we might just be putting a new engine on it or we might be doing a complete transom floor stringer rebuild with, you know, adding bits and pieces, but we're not changing the shape of the hull.
1: The interweb and social media is a fantastic spot these days. There's a Facebook group for every yeah, right. sort of, um, a bit like footy teams, you know, mm whoever you barrack for, if you go to Facebook and type in old Haynes Hunter boats, you know, there is a wide and vibrant community You'll effort. find
2: Nick Diagon there just, you know, waiting just giving pass the thumbs on his up. advice. Yes, indeed. Yes.
1: Well, people come to me And I'll tell words. you another thing. Um, Don't put your stringers in like that. <laughs> oh, what <laughs> are you thinking? Um, but pretty much for all the decent brands and the brands that you want to get involved in, there's a little Facebook page and you can ask people advice if this one's any good and, you know, they'll tell you that everyone's got an opinion, Drew. And
2: it's becoming a thing too with oh, a lot God. of that. Like Haynes Hunter, for example, it is a thing now to do up an old Haynes Well, you did up a v- 19R, that was your Haynes Hunter. And it is a thing. Like, it is a, it's a thing.
1: It's a thing to the point where the Haynes Hunter factory now make replicas of the boats they used to make back in the 70s so people don't have to buy the old ones and do them up. They can just go to the factory and buy a new one. Just on that, Bertram
2: Carabine just recently launched a 25-foot birdie with outboards.
1: Like First the one time we've got it. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. They do that because you put
2: outboards on yours. I'm just much. saying,
1: just yeah. saying, just yeah. saying. Uh, and you will have noticed, I think, in the last. 10 years probably, Drew, that the, the, well, the price, not the value necessarily, but the price of some of these boats uh, has gone through the roof, a bit like a barn fine Ferrari. A little bit, Um, yeah. It used to be you could find these things everywhere and and people understood that if you had to do a big rebuild on them, it was going to cost you a lot of money, so they're basically worthless, but um, nowadays people are paying reasonable money for Old hulls that...
2: More than what they're worth. Probably. Yeah. 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 Because yeah, they're paying for the name, but that's all right. So, you know, you can't find an Edencraft. No. Uh, or a V19R. No. Or, or a shark, 23-foot shark no. cap, Or any of those old classics that used to be on the market. They've all either been
0: done... Done
1: or in the process of getting done, yeah. getting projected.
0: There's a lot happening there. There's a lot in that space. I, I can't help but ask some of the things that could go wrong. They could really come back and bite you some of these projects, I'd, I'd imagine. Um, yep. You've had experience. I'm not saying that you've failed in any of your experiences, Nick, but surely Mm. there's been situations where they've really come back to bite you.
1: Mm. Certainly with the big birdie when we put that in and it was a bit of a disaster, I was concerned about that. And interestingly, the bloke who built our pod was uh, telling us of another bloke who'd spent I think something like $60,000 on a um, bit of a no-name boat that he'd done up and turned into a broaching pig. He was
2: putting sandbags uh, in the He was putting, uh,
1: yeah, (laughs) drink bottles full of sand, (laughs) filling the pod up with drink bottles full of sand. So, look, you know, go in eyes wide open because you can do uh, irreparable damage to what was otherwise a pretty good boat by... Uh, adding pods and bits and pieces to it. Structurally, we have learned firsthand that there are things that can go wrong, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I just wish one of those days something, you know, like dropping the boat on the ramp. Yeah, that was me. Last year, yeah, my boat split in two. Yeah, that was me. It
1: split in two. So for people who aren't um, familiar with the story, uh, Hardy did up a Haynes Hunter Tri-Hunter, which was a little cathedral hull, 17-foot boat. Classic, only made very few, which points to its (laughs) classic nature. Sort of a thing from maybe 1970 and did this whole kind of budget, backyard horror show restoration on it. And then it came to the point That's um, in in the in the horror show, show. Mm. where we had both boats. I'd, I'd spent a lot of money and done up my V19. It was very nice. And we had all our sponsors and the Yamaha people and the people from Humminbird and BLA and everybody's there for the launch and subsequent couple of test days and nice weather. It was all good. And Andrew takes up the story from here.
2: (laughs) Um, No, I don't think I do. (laughs) Um, Well, so I towed it from my shed on the East Coast uh, up to the middle of Tasmania where there's a rowing lake. And we thought we'll have, the first test we will do will be a race race between the two boats. Because I put a a very big engine on quite a small boat and I thought it would be quite fast. Dropped in the water, no real issues. Uh, We raced. You beat me. That was all right. Was but they still went very well. Both yep. boats went pretty yep. well. As I was then putting the boat back on the trailer, hmm. I thought I heard a cracking noise. A crinkle noise. <laughs> Just a little bit of a crinkle noise, yeah. but I didn't think anything of it. Hmm. So that was fine. Next day, towed it back to the East Coast, put it in the water. Drove it down some sort of 10 mile. Uh, we, we both had both boats in the water. We drove them down to uh, a passage out to the ocean whereby I put my boat on the anchor mm. because we thought we'll take your boat to sea. Yeah. We'll, you know, we'll test yep. it out. Yours is a, a sea boat. Mine yep. is an estuary boat. Yep. Put it on the anchor. No problems. Went out for a couple of hours, filmed some fishing, filmed Nick's boat, which went beautifully. Beautifully. Just Glorious. faultlessly. Faultless. Everyone was saying, geez, this is a nice boat. Yeah, beautiful job. You've done a done done great it. job. Well done, Nick. Thank you. High fives to you, Thanks, Nick. Slap guys. on the back, Nick. A feeling right? Though, Andrew. Let's see what yours can do. Get back, uh, hop in it, go to drive. Sort of back up the bay. Geez, it feels a bit sluggish. Mm, feels bit a bit heavy, leaden. Yeah, a bit of I a don't know what's happening definitely. here. So anyway, it just wasn't performing. We were trying to. I had the Yamaha man on board, and we were trying to do performance, test. performance testing and yeah. acceleration testing. I'm just going. This is something's wrong here. When you you got back
1: to the wharf, um, the Yamaha man stepped off and said, never again will I go Mm. in that boat. And
2: then I crashed it into the wharf because (laughs) I just did my normal like, you know, awesome docking technique where you sort of just throw it in reverse (laughs) and the boat didn't really stop and it's just like crashed (laughs) in the wharf. Something is really up here. So I've gone to pull it out and again with that crinkle noise as it sort of went up on the trailer, crinkle, crinkle, crack, crack. Right. Pulled it out of the water a little bit and there was not one but two enormous holes underneath the boat with water just cascading out.
1: Mm. Right. These are metre-long cracks <laughs> um, running from a third of the way up the front down toward the back. And um,
2: Well, that's just... not ideal. How the boat didn't sink is beyond oh. me. Mm. Um, and so what was the lesson there? What happened? Well, I, I went to the pub and had a beer and mm-hmm. cried. And while, and while I sat at the pub, the boat was parked across the road and it was just still, still cascading <laughs> water <laughs> for hours. Water I,
1: poured out of it for hours. Then I
2: towed the boat to where we, were, where we were living for the night to the hotel and in the morning there was still water coming out <laughs> of it. But, um, So that was not cool. But, you know, the only fix was to cut back into the work that we'd done, which had taken the best part of two years. Like, Mm. you can fix fiberglass, not a problem. But to get to it, I had to, you know, I'd fiberglassed in a console, so that had to come out, cut all the casting deck back. It was just an absolute nightmare. As it turned out, it was on the the wrong sort of trailer. So when I purchased the project boat for $5,000, which seemed, like a lot at the time.
1: Seems like more now.
2: Well, yeah. One of one of my, uh, you know, good points was the trailer. Oh, it's a good McKay roller trailer, quite a late model trailer. And yeah, that trailer's worth a couple of grand. It's good. So, you know, I'm getting the hull for three grand trailers. Good trailer, good trailer, because I hate bad trailers. It's a good trailer. <laughs> but as it turned out, for that shaped boat, it was a nightmare of a trailer because the boat didn't have any keel support on that trailer. And so it was just sitting on these rollers. And we did the project. We did the rebuild on the trailer. And I think that was a massive mistake. I think we should have taken the boat off the trailer, did the rebuild so it was nice and square, rather than Mm. having the boat rebuild, like adding weight to the boat, adding weight, adding weight, adding weight, and it's just sitting on those rollers. Mm. And sure enough, she
1: popped. Anyway, with the simple addition of more money, uh, we have (laughs) subsequently (laughs) fixed the Trihunter look. All we had to do was buy a brand new trailer. Yep. and then cut out most of the work that had been done by Andrew's backyard, mate, get a proper bloke, fibreglass bloke, to uh, do fiberglassing in there, fibreglass all up the holes and re coat the bottom, and bang, it's uh, it's pretty much as good as new, Hardy, isn't it?
2: Well, it's better. It's, it's better. better than <laughs> it's new. It's better than new, Nick.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, um,
2: so, certainly the best it's been. And now it's a great little fishing boat. Yes. Um, but it comes back to money. You know, this was Project Boats on a Budget, mm. uh, and I think it was... Mine owed me over fifty thousand before the um, disaster of the cracking, so you know it's it's up around the sixty thousand dollar mark
1: now. Yes, mm-hmm. for a five metre tri hull boat from nineteen seventy.
2: New trailer now, though, and just she rides nice, um,
1: which Ooh. has probably got a um, a market value of. Twenty four thousand. Oh, no! You get
0: twenty. You get twenty six for it.
1: Okay. Yeah. All right. So there's an element of
0: <laughs> learn as you go with this project oh, boat yes. process. Yes, um, yes, yes. But I think maybe we should jump into some suggestions from you guys, given that you've spent countless hours yep. scouring the internet, yep. scouring through boatyards about some of the best potential project boats there
1: are available. Yes. Uh, and, and this is important, you know, because we want to stick to what are. Uh, saleable items once your project comes to an end or once you're looking for your next project hardy we've talked a lot i guess about fiberglass boats so we shouldn't overlook the plethora of aluminium boats are out there and there are some really good, I, I guess a project boat only becomes a project boat after a reasonable period of time has elapsed from it being a new boat. Yeah. You know, they go from being a new boat to a sort of second-hand boat and then maybe a third-hand boat and then they're starting they to get in the, uh, getting in the realm of a project boat. Again, I guess in this space you can start out, you know, I bought a um, Stace at Tinney the other day, uh, yep. which is very much a project boat. It was sort of in a bush. Yep full of sand, uh, and it was probably pretty old or whatever, but fundamentally it's fine.
2: Yeah, aluminium's great. and We haven't really spoken about aluminium. There's a few little things you need to watch out for. Electrolysis, which is sort of aluminium cancer. Yes, so dissimilar
1: Um, metals. Whenever anyone puts a stainless fitting on an aluminium boat, it kicks off a galvanic reaction which will rot the aluminium because that's hmm. what it does. Um, So, you know, look for that. If you can see paint bubbling up or whatever else, there is um, corrosion there.
2: Yeah, look for cracks and, you know, welds yep. that have popped. Um, but generally speaking.
1: You had not... an aluminium boat which cracked, which, yeah, um, you know, proved to be hard to fix.
2: Yeah, you we couldn't really fix it. So in the end, it was just another boating disaster for Hardy. A little bit. Um, but <laughs> I, luckily I bought that boat brand new and I just had it. I just think it had a two bigger engine on it. It was in the early, very early days of four strokes and it was a massive engine for... A little boat,
1: yeah. So if you're scouring the, the secondhand, um, you know, gum trees and um, the boatyards looking for a good alley project, um, you know, it can be any sort of size you like, really. But yep. again, I guess our advice would be stick to the known brands, stick to your Treks and your Stasis and those sorts of boats. You know, the yep. Quinny Fishabouts, a bit of a classic in that space. There's always a market for those people, know them, they know the name,
2: yeah. And the, the things you can do to them, you can either just repower them and get them going again, or you can, yep. you know, they're a bit of a blank canvas. See if you get an open sort of style tinny, you can easily put a, uh, casting platform at the front of it or a new floor in it, you know, gunnel pockets. Um, there's plenty that you can do to them to get them going. Or if it's got a little cabin, you could add a rocket launcher and some clears and yeah, a classic, you know, aluminium thing like a Quintrex fishabout.
1: You did a, um, one of the projects we did a few years ago was taking old, there are a lot of old runabouts, you know, from the sixties and seventies and weirdo sort of things that have not very functional tops. You know, we spoke about some of those old half cabin boats that you used to see that were very popular back in the 70s, I guess. Mm. And there was a bit of a craze of cutting the top off them and making them into sort of console fishing boats. So you did a um, a pretty ugly, what was that? It was, a, it was an aluminium boat, but you, mm. you sort of took an ugly, old, very well-used aluminium boat and turned it into a fairly Decent um, boat that I sold boat? to my brother-in-law, yeah. which was good. But yeah.
2: again, we put the four-stroke on the back of yep. it and it made just a brilliant mm. boat. Tiller steer, power tilt, power trim. yeah, And yeah, just added a, uh, a structure up the front of it, the local welders basically, just welded in a structure up the front of it for a casting platform and some storage and... She was a good thing. Electric Battery boxes. In the front, le- yeah, away and, and away you go, literally. Yep.
1: And that's very close to as good as what you get if you spend 40 grand buying a Quintrex Hornet. Absolutely. Now, it's very close to it. Absolutely. Um, you know, some good value there. Um, so, Ali, you know, as you say, Hardy, it's a bit of a blank canvas. You yeah, know, you can blank go. canvas. Just look for a good one. Yeah, good one. Always the best ones are the unmolested ones, the ones that haven't yep, got too many holes cut in them and things, brain spikes here and there. Yeah. At the other end of the scale, probably if you're looking for the blue riband of uh, project boat hulls in this country to do up would be the Haynes Hunter 233, which is a big, long, almost phallic looking boat, Luke. Um, <laughs> and they are very popular. They were big back in the day, Hardy, with, I guess, your ab divers and that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah, they're in a
2: it. deep V-boat, aren't yep. they? With big high sides on yep. them and they really cut through the, the water and they they must they seem to be quite stable. They've got a very good reputation, obviously. And they've got high a massive,
1: um, yeah, massive big deep V. So as you say, they ride really well, but yep. they need a heap of power to they, drive
2: they, them. Yeah, so you see them with, you know, twin 300s on them, which is just crazy. Um But yeah, you're hard-pressed to find one.
1: Yeah, look, so if you find one of those, they're worth getting. I almost bought one which once belonged to Max Walker. Remember Maxie the Cricketer? Yeah. It had How's That written down the side. <laughs> should have really bought, bought 14 grand. Um, so that was expensive back then. Yeah, it was. It was a lot back then. Yeah. But nowadays, you know, there's there's sort of three or four manufacturers that build basically that boat. And
2: it's a $200,000 thing. It's
1: a $200,000 boat. So if you can find one for 14 grand, buy it, do it up. Yeah. I guess another one that we, like Hardy, and we think represents excellent value is the Bertram Flybridge range. Um, you know, probably the best value one is the 25 still.
2: Yeah, the 25, if you can repair it like what we've done, and as I said before, we can't get rid of it, it's just too good a boat. Yeah, It's got room to camp, room to cruise. You know, I, I go away camping on it with my two kids and wife and it's got plenty of room for that. As a sea boat, it's just fantastic because it's such a big, boat. Sort of remarkable, isn't it? Yep, yeah, it just goes, you know, 20 knots, that boat goes yeah. through most stuff. Yeah, at, at pretty happy. 16 knots, it goes through absolute and it, snot. Horrible, yeah, yeah. horrible sea, it? Yeah. and you feel safe and secure in it. And the thing about those Bertrams, I think I'm right in saying there's no timber in the construction.
1: No, I think there is timber in the transom. I think the transom's got a timber inlay, but it's not too bad because they seem to be pretty stable. But yep. the floors and the stringers, yep. so less fiberglass. risk of all the rot. That's right. Mm. Much less floor and risk. stringers won't rot. No, so law will be good, and you yep. know that's that's good to know. Yep. Those boats are uh, are available in a 23 footer or a 26 footer or whatever, um, yep. depending on how much you want to pay.
2: But yeah, just get the get the mod done right. I'd absolutely yep. um, go for putting outboards on it, absolutely, yep. but just get it done right.
1: Yes. They probably don't look as good with the outboards on them as they do with no. the stern drives. They're a nice, neat looking boat, bit of a classic looking thing with stern drives, but uh, outboards make them a nice thing and much more fuel efficient and stuff and you know you can get a bird from 25 on a trailer for still 20 20 ish 25 yep. you know yep. so it's a lot of boat for 25 grand yeah another one that we should talk about and i think these are starting to kick off a bit and that's your <laughs> shark cats uh, your old yeah. classic shark cats, particularly the bigger one, the, the 23. Bruce Harris-designed yes.
2: 23-foot shark cat. There's a
1: great ad. Um, yeah. Is it a solo ad or something, if you um, if you want to Google that? Is it, I think, where this um, Bruce Harris is driving around and his shark cat's in yeah. mountainous seas drinking solo? Yeah,
2: proper air in those <laughs> things. But again, an abalone <laughs> sort of boat, abalone Divers boat, yeah. and you'll struggle to find one. We actually looked to buy one. Yeah, um, for, for recently, three months, yeah. And there was only two that we sort of thought, Maybe yeah, maybe we could buy yeah and we, it turned out they weren't any good to us. but um, if you can find one of those,
1: Find one of those, beware they're big, they're heavy, they're thirsty, they're hard to tow, they're hard to store. Most they're, of th- them, their floors are gone. Yeah, most of them, the floors are gone. Yeah. yeah, and and hard to find one because they're basically commercial boats, hard to find one that's neat and tidy and Classic. hasn't been through the ringer a bit. Probably the most popular number one project boat in Australia would be uh, the Haynes Hunter V. 19 slash 17 yep the v boats
2: the v boats good old classic boat so yours was from 1968 or nine yep that's when they started building them they haven't really changed there's some with reverse chines there's some without
1: yeah the older ones are i think called a reverse chine where the hull is actually built in a sandwich mold which is a bit of an old-fashioned thing um the later ones are built in a normal plug mold where it was molded in one piece from a ride point
2: of view though you Look, would say i've it's just good?
1: done 70 hours in mine over the summer yeah it's good it's not ridiculous or anything it's not a magic carpet it's
2: no but it's not a big boat and i think no. you need to remember that no um, no
1: ride is good yeah. um you know and, and i spend a lot of money doing that one up so i think retail about 90 grand yeah. to get it from a five thousand dollar shell to a very nicely finished boat, so ninety grand. But you know, if you're going to buy a new ninety grand and it boat, is a new boat six metre boat, therm,
2: thermalite throughout. You know, yep. it's never going to rot again. Yep. New engine. Yep. But the thing with the V boats, yep. is that they're probably all going to be rotten.
1: Yes, um, they are. It's,
2: it's just a thing. All the old Haynes Hunter boats from seventies, early eighties, are rotten. All seem
1: to be rotten. So I don't know what they're doing at the Haynes factory, Luke. They might have been having a big, long play lunch. But um, the the thing about the V-boats is there is a definite market for them. So people Mm. know them. They know that they go well. And if you do one up to a reasonable standard, you'll have no trouble getting rid of it.
2: So project boating, I'm saying yes, we will continue to project boat despite the lows because (laughs) the highs far outweigh the lows.
1: (laughs) Project boating, three and a half stars.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, so there's plenty there, Nick, in the project boat space. Lots to do, lots to take on. That is just about us for Hook, Line & Sinkers Boat Shed. And I hope everyone's taken something out of it, whether you're a new boat owner, whether you've had one and you're upgrading or whether you're taking on a project boat like we've spoken about in this episode Thank you very much for listening. Any final words of wisdom, guys, as we wrap up this series? Who asked you, fella?
2: Um, Don't (laughs) don't take your safety chain off until your boat is in the water at the boat ramp because you don't want to be that bloke that drops the boat, I can assure you of that.
1: (laughs) And I would say don't be afraid to go boating. Boating is awesome. We will see you out there on the water. Line
0: and Sinker is a podcast One Australia production. Produced by Dave Zwelensky, audio production by Darcy Thompson.